Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. It was a wild start to our day at like 7.15. Zach sent a text to the rest of the church staff saying that there was a massive leak, like a stream of water like coming from the ceiling. So we had ladders in here and like Jeremy was up in the roof until like 7.59. It was wild. So if water just like dumps on me, um, it's okay. We're expecting it. If you don't respond, I won't either. So it'll be fine. All right. Well, hey, it's good to see you and be with you. My name is Trey Dove. I am the spiritual formation pastor at Huddo Bible Church. Some of you know that already, but if you're new to Huddo Bible or we just haven't met yet, I want to say welcome. Hopefully I get to meet you soon, but we're we're glad that you're here. I'm glad that you decided to come and worship with us this morning. Bobby, our lead pastor and the elders have asked me to lead us through a four-week series on community, which we've titled Belong, as you can see in gigantic black letters up there on the screen. And there's a little tag underneath it, which says, experience the grace of community. Now, the reason I chose that as the tag is because what I hope to demonstrate over the next four weeks is that community really is a gift of God's grace to his people. I've become more and more convinced of this truth as I spend time in his word, but also like as I, like just through experience, as I spend time living in community, sharing life with others, doing life with others, I've become more and more convinced that this is nothing short of a gift of God's grace to his people. Now, many of us in this room can likely attest to this as well, right? Where we just, we've got an, like we just, we have a community of brothers and sisters who we share our lives with and, and we get to see it and experience it and it's amazing, but some of us in this room, I imagine, just haven't experienced this grace, either because you carry more wounds than you care to recall, wounds that have been caused by those that you once welcomed into your inner circle, people that you trusted, people that you did share your life with, they hurt you and and caused wounding in your life, and so maybe you're like, I don't know what kind of grace you're talking about, my experience is rather painful. Whereas some, I imagine, have not experienced this grace because you've convinced yourself that life is better in isolation. Or some, I imagine, have just maxed out your schedule so as to prohibit yourself from experiencing this grace. And so while your days and your weeks and your months might be full of just potentially really, really good things, you've left no room in your schedule for community. I don't know the experience of everybody in the room. I don't know the wounds. I don't know the stories. I don't know the schedules that you bring in here today. But I do know this. There's no version of the good life that exists in isolation. There's, there's no version of human flourishing that exists in isolation. And as I hope to show you this morning, there's no biblical category for spiritual maturity that exists in isolation. Now, that's not to say that we can't grow at all, like at all on our own. That's certainly not true. And it's not to say that some of us don't need brief seasons where we actually step away from a community that we might have been a part of. Jesus did this often. He would withdraw to go and be alone with God. And so it's true. Yes, absolutely. Hear me on the front say, we need to be alone with God. We need alone time. Introverts are like, amen. Extroverts, you're getting a little anxious. Even you need some alone time. It's good. We need to be alone with God. But for many, that's not the issue. 
And so we need others to be who God created us to be. We need others to become the type of people that God, by His Holy Spirit, is at work even now to form us into a people who love Jesus and a people who look like Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to meet me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 11 through 13. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. Now, before we get into our text, I do want to do some work on the front end to hopefully set us up for the remainder of the series. And so uh, we're going to start off with a definition for community. And so here's how uh, we've defined it. Community is a group of specific people in a specific place who share their lives with one another because of their shared purpose. If it helps, you can consider the three P's, the three P's of community in this definition. People, place, and purpose. People, place, and purpose, the three P's of community. Starting with people, this seems like an obvious statement, but community requires other people, right? Now, unfortunately, other people is, for some of us, the thing that pushes us away from community, right? I mean, people are messy, right? Amen. One person agrees. (laughs) People are messy. Hey, you're messy. All of you are messy. I'm messy. I know that. Like, so, like, why would I move into community if people can see all my mess? Or why would I move into community if that means I'm going to get some of their mess on me? No thanks. I think this is why community in theory is so attractive, but community in practice is so challenging. But here's the thing. Theoretical people cannot give you what you need, which is companionship and friendship and love and forgiveness and encouragement, etc. And so people, it's an essential part of community. The second is place. Community happens in a localized context. It's formed over time. It's formed over countless meals, numerous cups of coffee. It's formed when you live in close proximity to one another so that your paths regularly cross, either intentionally or unintentionally. And community is formed face to face, not through a screen. Now, in our increasingly digital age, the movement is towards disembodied relationships and away from incarnational relationships. By that, I mean we would rather send a text than have a conversation face to face. We would, we would, we're just kind of, things are structured. I love my brother over here. Like, our lives are built so that we have meetings on Zoom and not at a coffee house. We would rather DM or Snapchat tirelessly, and then we call it intimacy or closeness or fellowship or whatever. Like people on Twitch and YouTube and social media, they know more about our marriages, our families, and our lives than the people who live next door to us or who go to our church. Now, you may be a part of an online community and hear me say, I, I'm, not, I'm not dogging online communities. I think there are benefits to online communities, to that type of network, but it lacks the essential component of place. So it has the potential to fulfill in part, but not in whole, what real, authentic, embodied community is meant to do in your life. Like in 2019, a survey was done of roughly 15,300 U.S. adults, and here's what the survey found found that 77% of this group of people said that events that happen all around the world really, really matter to them. 
And so they're really concerned with the stuff going on in the world. 57% said that they feel connected to the people all around the world, which I'm not, maybe they do, and maybe they are, I don't know, but 57% of 15,300 people said, I feel in some way connected to people all over the world, and only 33% said that they feel deeply cared for by those around them. Only 32% said that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that someone in their life believes in them. I was going through a bunch of different surveys and comparing some of the statistics um, from from what was discovered in the last year. And, And just from the last year, all of the surveys I found... In each and every single one, they concluded that more than 50% of U.S. adults feel lonely all the time. Now, that number got as high as 61% in one of the surveys. And, And in every single one of those surveys, the number increased specifically for young adults, so young people, and moms. So we're more connected than we've ever been, and we're more lonely than we've ever been. And yet we continue to build bigger houses that have taller privacy fences and dining room tables that are smaller and smaller. Guys, we have video doorbells that enable us to get on and tell someone to go away when we're not even home. That's a thing. And so my point is, place is an important part of community. Proximity is essential. Relationships that exist in person and not in the digital sphere are really, really important. And the final P is purpose. Community is forged and held together by a shared purpose. It's our similarities that transcend all of our differences and act as a cohesive that holds a community together. Now, this is not to say that we should not have distinctions or diversity in our communities. We absolutely should have that. But it's to say that the differences come second to the shared purpose and the shared identity of the community. I mean, that's why so many groups are formed around specific hobbies or uh, specific interests or why groups are formed for people in certain age ranges. Or if anybody in the room is a CrossFitter, that's why CrossFit is such a thing. Like that's why people go back. I mean, there's the, there's the physical, like being fits great and, sh- and stuff. Sure, that's awesome. But it's the camaraderie. And it's designed that way. It's the fact that you are literally shedding pounds and sweat and in some cases blood from doing those bananas workouts with other people who hold you accountable and encourage you. That's what draws people back to something like CrossFit. And so purpose is the cohesive that holds a community together. Now, these are the three P's of community, people, place, and purpose. And community, by design, is formative, which means who we are in community with, how we are in community, and what our shared purpose is, all are of supreme importance because community does something to us. Right? We're all becoming a type of person, and the community that we're in if we're in one at all, is forming who we become. And so Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that's good, right? We love that. But what if it's, a, what if it's the wrong kind of sharpening? Like what if it's more like a dulling than a sharpening? Like Solomon says in Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so we're all being shaped, we're all being formed, we're all becoming a type of person, and who we surround ourselves with is largely impactful in that. 
So community is formative and community, especially for the follower of Jesus, is a gift of God's grace. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book, Life Together. He says, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. And so his point is that followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, are connected or united to one another through faith by the indwelling Spirit of God. And so he goes on to say that until Jesus returns, God's people remain scattered, held together solely in Jesus Christ, having become one in the fact that dispersed among unbelievers, they remember him in the far countries. So between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible community with other Christians. It's by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. And so his point here is that we have this incredible gift of God's grace called the church. This community of people who love Jesus like we do, who've been joined together with us in Christ. And until Christ comes back, we are like exiles living in a foreign land. But when we come together, when we gather together, we have this beautiful opportunity to remind each other and to be reminded who we are, who we belong to, and where we're going. It's like when we come together, when we're with other believers, it's like we get a taste of home. Now, this is true of the Sunday morning gathering. That's why this is so essential, but it's true of a meal shared at a dinner table. It's true of a game night around a coffee table. It's true of a conversation over a cup of coffee at your favorite coffee shop. And we need this grace. And this grace, again, is formative because community is formative. It does something to us, which is the point of Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3. So let's look at verses 11 through 13 together. Paul writes, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, a little background on the Thessalonian church. Paul and Silas planted this church uh, in Thessalonica on Paul's second missionary journey. And while he was forced out of the city by a number of opponents, he then sent Timothy back to check in with the church. And, and when Timothy came to Paul, returned to Paul with his report, Paul was then prompted to write this letter. Now, he wrote it between 49 and 51 B.C. Uh, while he was in Corinth. And largely, this is one of Paul's most encouraging letters in all of the New Testament. Like Paul has a deep affection for this local church. And so while he's not able to get back to visit them, he makes it clear that he really, really wants to. Like he really, really wants to see them again. He says in chapter two, verse eight, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. 
He then says in verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And so Paul's desire for this community is deep and it's earnest. And he opens his prayer in chapter 3, verse 11, by, by praying that God would direct his way to them. He just wants to see them. He just wants to be with them. And what's more is that Thessalonica was a city of over 100,000 people, and it was the capital of Macedonia, which made it a hotspot for trade, and it was a city blooming with culture. Like most prominent Greco-Roman cities, it also housed the pantheon of Greek gods, making it a pluralistic city. And in the midst of what could be described as a religiously dark place, there was this thriving community of believers shining forth the beauty of the gospel in both word and in their love for for one another so as to actually set an example for the other communities around them. Like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-9, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And so by every metric Paul might use, the church in Thessalonica is flourishing. They received the gospel. They were filled with the Spirit. They turned away from the idols of the city and the gods of the Greco-Roman catalog. And they began worshiping Jesus as one church. And their love for the gospel and their love for each other has since become like a light that is just catching the attention of other believers in the surrounding areas. And, and so, like, hear me, they weren't a perfect church. They weren't perfect. No church is perfect. But they were healthy. And yet, even still, Paul prays in chapter 3, verse 12, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. And so keep in mind, Paul's already praised their love for one another as exemplary, but his, his prayer is that their love for one another would exceed all natural limitations. And so when Paul prays here that their love for one another and for all, which means literally all, not just people in the house, not just believers, but for unbelievers, for their neighbors, literally all. So when he prays that their love would increase and abound, the image that we might have in our minds is that of like a cup of water that's being filled and filled and filled until it breaks the threshold and the water spills all over the floor and then you just keep filling it up more. It's like you don't stop filling it up. And this abundance of love that Paul's praying for, it exceeds the limitations of man, meaning this abundance of love, it can't be mustered up. It's not something you just determine today, I'm going to have this type of love. It is supernatural and it comes from God. That's what Paul's praying for. 
Like as Pastor Michael read last week, Romans 5, 5, Paul says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so Paul's prayer is, God, would you fill them with your love, the love that you've received through their faith in your Son, the love that is poured into their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Would you fill them and fill them and fill them until your love spills over? And would that love then be just like poured out upon everybody? In their church, their neighbors, everybody. Fill them up, spill over your love, poured out on everybody. Would their love for one another be an overflow of the love that you have for them and that they have for you? I mean, does anybody know what Jesus said would be the defining mark of a, of a disciple? I'll read it. It's okay. Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have, what? Love for one another. And so Jesus said, hey, the world, the world will know that you're my disciples. The world will know that you're my people if you have love for one another. And Paul's prayer here is God, increase their love for one another and make it overflow. Now, here's my point. This necessitates the, the other, right? Like this necessitates, this requires other people, doesn't it? So by that, I mean Jesus' word on discipleship and Paul's prayer for an increase in abundance and overflow of love. They both necessitate other people. They require other people, which is to go back to the point I made earlier that there's no version of the good life that exists in isolation, there's no version of human flourishing that exists in isolation, and there's no, there's no real spiritual maturity as a follower of Jesus that does not in some way move us towards love of others. In verse 13, Paul makes this, this incredibly profound connection. He says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that, if you write in your Bible, circle that, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so Paul prays for an increase in abundance of love for each other in this church. But then he says, so that, he's connecting verse 12 and verse 13, so that God would establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now, to be holy means to be set apart by God for God, right? This word describes something or someone that's been purified, something that's been cleansed. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, Paul says that before the foundation of the world, God chose for himself a people to be set apart, to be cleansed and purified, to be made holy and blameless before God because they would be in Christ. A people who, who, a holy people who would be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. In 1 Peter 1, the first 12 verses, Peter says that it was in accordance with God's foreknowledge of all things that he chose. He elected a people to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, to be born again, to one day receive an eternal inheritance that's being stored up in heaven, a people to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, which is the salvation of their souls. I mean, this is just, this is the gospel, right? 
I mean, this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sinless in every way imaginable, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again three days later so that any and all who would come to him in faith would receive forgiveness. Would receive forgiveness of sin, sin which separates us from God, sin which condemns all to hell without exception or discrimination, sin which robs us of life even today on this side of eternity. Guess what? Jesus paid for it, paid for all of it. So that any who would come to him in faith, meaning the sincere belief that his life, death, and resurrection is enough, it's sufficient for them, any who would come in faith would be adopted into God's family, sprinkled with the blood of Christ, and would be made pure and blameless and holy. And so friends, listen, what this means is that the thing that you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago that you just think, if anybody knew that, if anybody knew how busted I was back then, how broken I was, if they knew that thing, oh, well, that thing is covered by the blood. If you're in Christ, the thing you did last night, the thing you did last week, that just frustrates you, it fills you with shame and regret, that thing was covered by the blood if you're in Christ. Listen, the thing you're going to do in the parking lot, the thing you're going to do on your way to lunch, the thing you're going to do tonight, the thing you're going to do this next week, the thing that makes you so mad because you think, gosh, this again, it's been paid for by the blood if you're in Christ. Now, in light of that, this is what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so Peter says to the Christian, be who you already are. Right? Be who God has made you to be in Christ. Be holy as God is holy because he's made you holy in Jesus by the blood. So go and be holy. Now, for all the ways that we might say, well, what is like, how do we go and be holy? The point I'm trying to make is according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13, you can't do it on your own. You need community. To be holy as God is holy. Because be holy as God is holy necessitates a genuine, authentic, real love for one another and love of others. And, and love for others, love of one another requires the real embodied presence and connection to people. And so there's no version of spiritual maturity that exists in isolation. Again, you can grow on your own. I hope that's your experience when you open the word over a cup of coffee and you pray. Like, I spend time with Jesus alone. You need it. But there's no version of spiritual maturity that exists in isolation. And so here's a great spiritual litmus test. Do you love others? Especially in the church. Like, if this is your church, do you love other people in this church? Here's a great follow-up question. Do you know people in your church? 
And I'm not talking about names and faces and like if you give me Facebook, I can Google them and I'll probably figure it out and make, like I'm not talking about that. Like, do you know people in your church? Do they know you? Like, do they really, really know you? And I'm not talking Sunday morning you. I'm talking about Monday you. Do they know Friday you after work kicked your tail and your boss was a jerk? Do they know that you? My boss, for the record, is not a jerk. I don't know if he's in here. But... <laughs> like, are there, are there people in this church who see you at your weakest and who encourage you when you're down? Are there people who celebrate with you and rejoice with you in moments of victory, in moments of success, in moments of growth? Like, are there people in this church who, who know your areas of weakness so well that when you do it and you don't see it, they come to you and they say, let's talk about this. Are there people in this church who it's like when you sit with them, every single time it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like your soul just needed it. Are there people in this church who frustrate the fire out of you more often than not? Because listen, you need those people too. And you're that person for someone. I guarantee you. I promise you, you are. It's like, I don't know if y'all have heard the phrase or heard the sentence or statement or whatever, but, you know, if you've ever heard it where it's like, you know, I love them, but I really don't like them. You ever heard that? Yeah? Yeah. Can I just tell you, uh, I hate that sentence. I hate that phrase. I was actually going off with some of our coworkers, some of the staff, about how much I dislike it because, listen, I, I know people aren't likable. Trust me, I get it, all right? But that's just lazy. And be honest, you don't like them and you probably don't love them either. And again, I know things can be more complex than that, but, but what if instead of justifying our exclusion of another, we saw it as a grace of God to reveal to us the ways in which we fall short of Christ's love? What if we saw it as an opportunity to pray with Paul, God, would you make me increase and abound in love for this person who just really isn't likable right now or ever? <laughs> and so the point is, this type of love and this type of knowledge, it happens over time. It builds through consistency and it builds through proximity, place, time together, embodied. And it's essential to the command, be holy as I am holy. According to a study, a study, a study conducted, that was super, I've been watching a lot of Bluey with my kids, so <laughs> parents get that one. So according to a study conducted by Barna in 2021 involving 2,500 U.S. adults who identified as Christians, I don't know, they said they're Christians, so take that for what it is, right? But 2,500 adult Christians in the U.S. in 2021, 56% said that they considered their spiritual life to be an entirely private matter, meaning it's just me and God. That's it. No one else. And so it happens, you know, it, it happens, church happens in the front bedroom or church happens on the couch when I'm watching the Cowboys get beat again and I'm crying, like whatever, like it's just me and God and nobody else is welcomed in. Now, of that 56%, only 30% said that spiritual growth or maturity is important to them. 45% said that their spiritual life is important. And 51% said that they regularly spend time with God in prayer and in his word. And so the point is, there's no category for spiritual maturity that exists in isolation. 
Community is formative and it's a necessary part of the Christian life. We cannot be holy as God is holy if our lives are built so that we are just always separated from other people. And so where do we go from here? Well, we've got three more weeks of this, and I'm going to say this, or James, Pastor James is going to say this. I'm making him now, apparently. Uh, we're, going to be, we're going to be hammering this the next three weeks, that if you're not currently in a smaller community with brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to get in one right now. Like right now. This is a shameless plug. As the pastor over community groups, join a community group. They're literally built for this. That's why we have them. That's why at this church in our men's and women's Bible study, like that's why we don't sit in rows, but we put you in, in groups at round tables or in homes and living rooms and stuff like that. That's why we have cookouts and game nights and parties at the park or whatever. It's because we're trying to provide every opportunity that we can to help you find community with other people who love Jesus because you need it. And if you're not currently in a small community, my question is why not? Like if, if you're getting a little anxious, even as I'm talking about it, uh, listen, I, I know it's complex, but my question is just why? Again, I don't know your experience. I don't know your story, but, but what is it about that thought that makes you so anxious? Next week, we're going to address some of the objections that we have to this, and we'll kind of get underneath what I think's going on. But, but I want to lay this before you, that if you're not actively living in community, you are robbing yourself the opportunity to experience this gift of God's grace. Like you are limiting your ability to be holy as God is holy, to put it as bluntly as I can, you are hurting yourself. You're robbing yourself of the joy and the grace that's been purchased for you in Christ, and I don't want that for you. God does not want that for you. Now, I know community's hard. I've already said it. I'll say it again. It's messy. We get hurt. We hurt other people. Then we got to deal with that. It's, it's, it can be exhausting, but there's a grace that we experience when we step into this space, when we open ourselves up, and when we commit to living life with others. And why wouldn't we want that? Like, why wouldn't we as followers of Jesus step into every opportunity set before us to experience more of His grace and more of His holiness? See, God is gracious to provide exactly what we need to flourish and to grow us as disciples of Jesus, and he has provided that largely in the context of community. Let's pray. God, I confess to you that uh, even as I preach your word and as we begin this series on community, I know in my heart of hearts what my flesh wants, what my desires are, and that is to uh, go home, lock the door, grab a blanket, sit with my wife, my kid, watch football, watch Netflix, watch whatever. Like my bent is towards isolation. And while I know there's a season for that, and while I know that's good in part, God, I want to ask that you help me to be someone who moves towards community, who moves towards others so that in so doing, as you fill me with your love, I would get to experience more and more of your grace, which has been purchased in Christ and given freely. I want to pray for any men and women in this room who 
come in here and, and it's like in their mind they can see conversations, they can see experiences, they can see past hurts that were all done against them by someone that they had welcomed in. I can like I can just sense even that someone is like, why would I put myself through that again? And I get it. Or do you get it? I pray that you would remind that person now that there's healing. There's healing for them. That while that past experience and that past hurt is real, that person is not Jesus. your desire is that as they move into community, not away, but into community, that they would actually get to experience grace. That they would begin to experience this healing that you've offered in your son, that you pour out through your people as we increase and abound in love for you and love for one another. Father, help us to be a people who move in and not out. Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, as a church, uh, this is the, the part of our service where we move into communion together and we practice open communion, which just means if you are a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to our table. We want to uh, invite you to come up now as the band plays a little bit. You're free to move around the room, grab the elements and take them back with you and we will uh, partake together. Church, we, uh, we were made for community. Uh, if I haven't said that enough already to this point, I'll just take this chance to say it one more time that uh, we were made for it. God designed it. It's woven into our DNA a need to be known. And the beauty of the gospel is that in Christ, we get to have it. Uh, not theoretically, but actually. Like we actually get to have what we were made to need and we get to have it with God we get to have it with each other and that really is the beauty of this table is that even now in a mysterious way as the people of God we get to fellowship with Jesus Christ through the bread and through the cup and so what I'm going to ask you to do now is just take a moment where you are bow your heads, uh, close your eyes if that's helpful, and just consider this profound reality that as we come to the table, we are fellowshipping, we're fellowshipping, communing with Jesus Christ. Here and now, we get to fellowship with our Lord Jesus the beautiful thing, the thing that's often most overlooked, I think, when coming to the table is that we don't do this as individual people, just individual people, but we come to the table even now fellowshipping with Christ through the body, through the blood, and we get to do it together. 
his church, as his people, as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters, as those who in Christ have been called holy and blameless before God. And it is only, and I mean only, through the body and the blood of Jesus that we have this incredible privilege. And so church, this bread is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. This cup is the blood of Christ, broken, poured out, shed, sprinkled over you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Amen. Well, uh, I was thinking earlier about this passage we read this morning, and, and at verse 13, when again, Paul says, so that talking after, you know, praying for this increase in abundance of love, and he says, so that, again, he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And I think what Paul's saying here is not... Um, you know, you better make sure you're holy when he comes. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when Christ returns and all of his saints and the dead are resurrected and we stand before him as his people in Christ, we will stand before him holy and blameless, right? It's objectively true. If you're in Christ, you are holy and blameless, purified as you've been sprinkled with the blood. I think, I think the best way I can really understand what Paul is saying is like, when that moment occurs, and I don't know what it's going to be like, we'll all find out together, but when it happens, I, I imagine seeing my life laid out before me every moment, and, and if this is the case, what I want to do is I want to look back on my life and say, God, if there was, if there was more of your grace to be experienced, or if there was an opportunity to, to be holy as you're, like, I want all that you have for me. And I don't want to look back and go, I missed it, and I missed it, and I missed it, and I missed it. And I think that's the point, is as we love others, as we live in community, we get to experience the grace of God and grow in our experience of this holiness that's already true. We get to be like God, like Jesus. Now, if you're an introvert, raise your hand. Praise God for you, me too. All right, so these next four weeks, you might hate me. I hate myself, so it's fine uh, as I'm talking about community. But but like some of us, we naturally move towards other people and we're, we're the ones who need to learn to like sit by ourselves for a little bit. And some of us move away from people and we're the ones who like, I just like, I want you to step into what God has for you in the context of community. Again, for me, it's exhausting, but it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And then I go and take a nap and it's all good. We're fine. So... Hey, love you too, brother. Thank you. That was so sweet. Well, I don't even know what to say now. Uh, so with that, my encouragement as you go is like look for opportunities to move towards community. For some of you, it's easier because again, you're wired that way or you've got the availability or the flexibility. Some of you, it's really hard. And, and my just my encouragement is like don't, like don't rob yourself of this joy, of this grace any longer. If you can make it happen, make it happen. And if you're like, I don't know how it's going to happen, like, let us help you. I, like, I don't know. Like, just pursue it. Move towards it so that you can experience this grace.
So uh, real quickly, I want to pray for two groups of people or a group and a person. Uh, our India team, as you know, they're, they're about to be on their way back. And so we want to pray for them and pray that the Lord would continue to uh, use their ministry to, to um, just advance his kingdom, grow his kingdom. But also we are sending one of our elders, Tom Albers, to South Asia as well in the next week. Uh, he's going for a different reason. He's going to go um, on like an equipping trip. And so there's a group of pastors and missionaries in the region that he's going to be heading to. And Tom, who's just a blessing to our church, um, is going to equip them so that they can continue to do the work of ministry in their region. And so I want to pray for our team on the way back and pray for Tom. I don't think Tom's in the room this hour. Yeah. Okay, great. So yeah, we'll, we'll pray for him as well, and then you'll be dismissed. God, thank you for your church, for your community, for these people. God, your people. Uh, thank you that we have this sweet privilege of gathering together in your name, fellowshipping with one another on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. God, we pray for your people in South Asia now as our team is returning. God, just pray, Spirit, that you would continue to advance your kingdom and, and advance the gospel, that more and more and more men and women would come to know you through the work that you started there and through the work that our people got to be a part of. Help us to celebrate and rejoice as we hear those stories from the men and women coming back. Bring them home safely, God. And we pray for our brother Tom as he goes, God, that you would bless the work of his hands, that the men and women who are equipped um, in the coming weeks, God, would go forth and, and by the power of your spirit, um, would lead your people, would share the gospel. Your kingdom would grow and grow and grow. We know Tom has been a blessing and is a blessing to us. And we just pray that as he goes, he would be a blessing as well. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. With that, church, you're dismissed. Have a great Sunday. Grace and peace.